This is Engineering by Design, a short podcast series produced by the Design Lab at NYU Makerspace. This podcast complements a series of fireside chats where we invite professionals working at the intersection of design, engineering, and technology. Our guest today is Wayne Suter Matamoros, who will share with us his journey from a degree in biochemistry and cell biology and an MBA to being a design thinking practitioner and managing director of product and experience for Unreasonable Group. My name is Wayne Suter Matamoros. I'm a managing director of product and experience for the Unreasonable Group. Um, and the way that I actually got to where I am today is the, the managing director in my entire career um, in design, specifically in service design and design thinking, um, was not a direct route. I didn't necessarily know I wanted to go to college out of high school, and I worked in construction in a tire shop. And after doing that for about a year, determined that that wasn't the right path. And so um, I applied to UCSD, University of California, San Diego. So I majored in biochemistry and um, really in that, you know, learned about the scientific process and and really loved kind of the rigorous analysis that science involves. Um, but halfway through, I started working for a professor. And because this was the late 90s and the internet was just booming, he had actually asked me to put things online, on the web. And so I started learning um, web development and design. And really, by the time I graduated, had several years of experience in, in web design and in coding and in different aspects of, of design and development. And um, it ended up being a, a, a really interesting opportunity. Um, I ended up being hired by the university um, with Scripps Institution of Oceanography, um, which is part of UCSD and one of the world's most renowned environmental institutes in the world. And it was there that I actually started as one person, but I built out a web team over the next seven years. And in doing that, um, we worked across a variety of projects. I mean, some of them were public facing type websites, but then we were also working with scientists and with marine engineers uh, and others in order to make scientific applications and to process data and to visualize it. And so really it was there that I started dabbling in, in design, interaction design, and really using some methods that today we would call design thinking. But since it wasn't as well known in the um, late 90s and early 2000s, um, it wasn't as recognized anyways. Um, it wasn't until later that I realized that I had been doing some of those things. And so after seven or eight years with Scripps, um, I decided that I needed a change both in career and geography. I was in Southern California at the time where I grew up. And so we moved to New York, where I went to uh, NYU, and I got my MBA from Stern School of Business. And it was there that I started exploring different careers and doing different internships. And um, as I looked at some of the prescribed routes of management consulting or finance or marketing, what I found is that where I really loved to be was at the crux of creativity and analysis. So by the time I graduated, I had really... Um, discovered more about this world of design and innovation, which by this time in the late 2000s had been more formalized and recognized and, and was growing through the last decade um, or more than a decade now. I've been working across a variety of firms, including um, SY Partners, who does high level strategic consulting using design methodologies, RGA, who's more in the product development side. Um, and then for quite a while, for almost seven years with Fjord, which is Design and Innovation by Accenture Interactive. And um, it was through all of these experiences that I worked on using design thinking to solve high level, you know, corporate strategy type projects, 
um, as well as actually making products, really running the entire spectrum of leveraging design thinking um, at different scales from, from a physical product scale all the way up to um, changing a culture or, in, or an entire organization uh, of a client and even working in the NGO space. And so finally, um, kind of coming full circle, which is interesting, is I'm now uh, working with the Unreasonable Group, which, which is in the impact space. So the Unreasonable Group works with um, uh, entrepreneurs that are at the growth stage who are, have businesses that are focused on either environmental or social impact. So what is the most important aspect of design thinking to me? Uh, I think if you ask almost any design thinking practitioner, they're immediately going to say empathy. Essentially, when you immerse yourself in the, in the lives of somebody that you're trying to help, you keep them at the forefront of all of your decision making. So essentially, you're able to really think deeply about what they need and identify, you know, the insights that are going to influence and drive the project. And then you're also constantly going to refer back to this empathy and your feeling and your appreciation for this person's life in order to make decisions based on their needs and not your own or not on the needs of the technology, but really just constantly coming back to them. When I think about where I've been able to use design thinking and specifically leverage empathy in order to create a product, I think about a product that I did in Germany several years ago, um, which was uh, essentially creating a coffee system. And so similar to like an espresso, the company was very engineering driven. And so what we received was actually a cube. So if you think about the Nespresso capsules, um, the, these, you know, and the shape of them kind of conical, what we received was a cube and, and the CEO and the engineers and some executives came to us when I was at RGA and they said, this is what we have. We have a cube. And so they then went on to explain the engineering brilliance behind it, which was that it was more concentrated coffee. The pressure could be higher and some things, um, some interesting aspects like that. But we were still just looking at a cube. And, and people, when you ask them how they want, how, how would they like coffee to be better? They don't say, I want it cubicle. Um, so for us, we had to figure out, well, how, how can we identify a human need that, that will actually attach to this? So we embarked on research, inviting in the engineers and also some of the business owners, um, in the company in order to go with us. And so they would go with us to do on-site visits, to go into people's homes in Germany and Austria and Switzerland. And, and to listen to people, to ask them to show us where do they keep their coffee? Um, what does coffee mean to them? Um, you know, really to get to understand from their own words in a natural environment, in their context. Um, simultaneously, we had an online panel, which was about 120 people in, in the same region, where we could take ideas or insights and feed them back and forth. So we could learn from the online panel and take it in home when we visited. We learned something in somebody's home and we could put that into the online panel in order to validate. And it was really in the earlier stages that we were trying to find an opportunity and people kept telling us, oh, uh, our coffee system's perfect. We don't need anything different. And so if you think about this from our perspective, it could have been the, the end of the project. If we just listened to them or sent a survey, and 95% of people said, no, I don't need anything. Our coffee's perfect. Then it could have been over. We would have said, there's no opportunity, you know, don't enter this space. What ended up happening though, is that we would ask them about their coffee system, but then we would observe them and we would ask them to make us coffee. And this is where it became really interesting because we would notice that they were doing things that were unconventional, like unplugging a machine early or putting in extra capsules or pads um, microwaving, um, the, the coffee afterwards or all these things that they were doing. And we would ask them, 
well, why did you do that? And what was interesting is that half the time people would say, what did I do? And we would say, well, you just put in extra capsules or you just unplugged it early. And they would say, I did? Oh yeah, I like my coffee stronger. I like my coffee hotter. I like it with more milk. I like it with less milk. And so what we determined is that a lot of the machines and systems were what we refer to as dumb machines. You press one button, they make the coffee however they think is right. And that's all the control you have. By the same token, people didn't want a full espresso machine, which required, you know, lots of levers and cleaning and they're expensive and just too much work for them, especially first thing in the morning. And, and so where we ended up was taking that insight and figuring out how we could actually make something in between that gave some limited functionality or control, but didn't complicate it so much that it was a burden. And so this is where it got really exciting because we had engineers with us in much of the research you know, they could actually start to think in, in technological terms, what are some of the things that we could integrate? What would we need to put into a physical machine in order to enable an, a better interaction for them? And we could also work with software engineers to think, you know, what types of technologies could we leverage in order to be able to program a machine remotely from an app, you know, so that these things could work together. It ended up being a very collaborative project and it ended up taking that insight and actually creating simultaneously a physical machine that could be controlled by an app, an app where you could customize your coffee and even save it and share it. And as well as a brand, which took kind of a, a whole new take on coffee machines in that region. So how is it that um, engineering and design come together? I, I think that's actually something that's really important. Many people think of engineering just on the delivery side, which is, you know, designers and, and maybe a business unit will come up with what the product or concept is, and then you hand it to engineers. And to me, that's a big missed opportunity. I think really in design and this idea of multidisciplinary teams, the potential for engineers to be on the front end of, de of design, being there for research, but also helping to shape and inspire is something that's often missed. Engineers come in with, you know, incredible inspiration, understanding deeply about the technology and its potential. And it also helps as you, you develop something. And we saw this with the coffee example in that as they do start to deliver, they understand, they have empathy in the back of their mind as they're making decisions on the actual build and delivery of things. So you actually get more consistency, more strategic consistency and a more human centric product at the end of the day. What do I recommend for engineers who want to become more design centric and for designers who want to get more involved in engineering? Um, for me, I think it's all about collaborating. Part of design thinking is a mindset, which is around collaboration. And I think that as one of the primary skills of design thinkers, it's facilitation and it's bringing people together. So I think one of the things is just to work together, to find ways to collaborate. I think for engineers, there's tremendous resources online where you can go to learn about design thinking. And there's also a lot of projects out there, especially for um, nonprofits and NGOs that are looking for engineers to bring in their expertise. So I think that's one place where you can have hands-on experience working with designers to solve meaningful problems. On the other side for designers, um, you know, also online, there's quite a few resources. And I think one thing is just to try and spend time with engineers and understand what they do and how they work. So really to absorb, and obviously some of the engineering, engineering skills are, are, are quite specific, but there is quite a bit you could learn about coding, for instance, and, and there's free online coding academies that you can do so that you can understand enough to be able to communicate more effectively. And really, I think in, in both of these, it's about 
you know, finding opportunities to work together and asking questions and being inquisitive about what each other does. So that over the time, you know, over time, you actually start to learn more and more and um, find better ways to work together and to solve even, you know, more complex challenges. Thanks for joining us. We hope you tune in again for our future episodes. We would like to thank our sponsor, NYU Tandon's Department of Technology Management and Innovation. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at NYU Makerspace.